Good morning, good morning. So awesome to see so many people here today. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Well, hey, like Matt, Pastor Matt said, uh, my name is Mason, uh, Mason Trotter, and I, I've, I've had the incredible privilege of being able to be a part of the Refuge family for number of years now, um, my wife and I and our three kids have been attending here, um, and we've just been so blessed by this community. Um, this family, this group of people is so special and so different, um, and just the leadership here, Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb, we just have amazing lead pastors, amen. Let's just give them a quick round of applause. Just been such such a blessing. Um, so just thank you for your leadership. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to come up and share my heart. Um, hopefully, I won't be annoying to anybody throughout the time. So uh, I'm going to try my hardest to, to to not get to that point. Um, but hey, we're we're right in the middle of a of a series that are covering our our core values here at, at Refuge, and so we're on week six at this point. Um, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to some of the, the messages beforehand, um, please go back and listen to them. They've all been super good, really just cover a lot of the things that make Refuge what it is. I was telling Pastor Matt as we were on the phone that covering these core um, values has just really brought to light some of the things that I think are so important about this body and what makes this body so special um, because you can see the embodiment of Jesus just in each one of these core values and how it's become a part of the culture here at, at Refuge. Um, so it, it's been really cool to explore those, and if, if you haven't gotten a chance to check those out, check them out. Um, week one we had, we were people who cannot be broken, and that was with Bishop Gary McIntosh. Um, Pastor Matt had a sermon on we are a family that will always forgive. Um, Pastor Tim came up and ministered on we are a peacemaker in a world at war. And then Pastor Matt came back with another uh, message about we are the body that when damaged will heal. And then last week we had Jeff Pershing do a message on we are a safe place for the poor and for the rich. Um, and some, some really, really good topics here. And so today we're on week six and we're going to be talking about the core value. Like Pastor Matt said, we are a haven for the tired. And so we're going to be exploring a passage in John chapter 4. It talks about a woman that I believe contextually you can see is extremely tired, emotionally, physically, spiritually tired. And we get to see how Jesus interacts with this woman and how Jesus handles tiredness. Um, and I think there's so many things that we can just glean from Jesus as we see this interaction play out that we can take into our culture here at Refuge and just see reflected. Um, so we're going to open up into that word right now. If you guys want to turn to your Bibles to John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. And while you're, while you're getting there, um, just want to point out that I think that whether it was intentional or not, this was Pastor Matt picking me to do a sermon on tiredness, probably a pretty good uh you know, match point there. Um, like Pastor Matt said, we've got three kids, all of them are under six, and uh, we've got one on the way. So pray for us. We're really tired. Um, I'm going to stay humble when I say this, but I think we're reaching like expert knowledge in how to deal with tiredness. I don't, can you, Paige? Yeah? Okay. Any parents relate? Yeah? Okay. Um, 
so when we look at this, this core value, the main word that we see here is a haven, a haven for those who are tired. And the haven, the word haven means a, a place of safety or a refuge for the people that are tired. And so we're just going to jump through the, the passage here. Like I said, John chapter 4, verse 1, this is where we're going to live today for the, for the most of it. But like I said, I think what we're going to see is, is the, the ways that Jesus operates and handles this situation and then how we can operate in a culture that, that allows us to be a haven for the, the tired. So starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only the disciples, he left Judea and he departed again for Galilee. And as he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar and near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jesus had, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, and so did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman... Let's pause really quick. Can we just all agree that Jesus is the only person that can get away with calling somebody a woman? Right? If you don't believe me, some of you men, turn to your spouse or somebody behind you. Yeah, you won't do it. I know you won't. Um, he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming that now, and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, and who, he who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm just going to open up with a word of prayer here before we dig into this. God, thank you that you are a God of divine appointments. God, I thank you that no matter what we came in with, God, that you are ready to, to, to meet us here um, where we're at today. God, I thank you that if we're tired, we can bring things to you, God. Whatever we, we came in with this morning, we can leave it at the door, God, and we can experience you and we can encounter you, God. So as we explore this, I just pray that you would 
open up hearts, God, and that you would um, just be present with us today, God. Change lives, change hearts this morning, and help us to walk away feeling refreshed and renewed um, and ready to serve you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So as we kind of get into this, I think there's a couple of things right when we get out of the gates here in John chapter 4. And so we see um, that Jesus is, is traveling from uh, Judea to Galilee. So verse 4 says he, uh, so verse 3, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So when you first look at this verse, it seems like this would be a pretty simple, you know, pass through. This is, if, if you look on a map, what you see is that Judea and Galilee are essentially almost right next to each other. And nestled right between them is Samaria. And so when you see this, you're like, well, if he had to go from one place to the other, he's got to go right through Samaria. But when you dig into the culture of the time, we know that Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other very much. And so what was customary for people to do for Jews in that day was to actually go around Samaria. They would make a longer trip around Samaria just so that they didn't have to interact with them in any way. And so the fact that Jesus, the, the scripture says he had to pass through Samaria is really interesting. We see Jesus, and, and I think this is one way, but I think we see this happening many times throughout this, this passage of scripture, that he kind of goes against culture. He goes against what, what the customs of the day would be. And I think today if we're going to glean off those things and be, make sure that we are a, a haven for the tired, there are some things that we have to be counter to culture on as a, as a group. Um, so Samaritans and Jews, they didn't really like each other. And the main reason is because they, they didn't agree on a lot of things scripturally. They, the Jews um, saw Samaritans as, as half-breeds, the Bible says. And it talks about how the Samaritans are basically, like, culturally or historically, they came as a result of um, the fall of the Israelites to Assyria. And so when they fell to Assyria, the, the intermarriage and intermingling of those people is what became the Samaritans. And out of that was born some different religious customs and some different things that were a little bit different than what the Jews did. And so when they would um, argue about things, a lot of the times it was these detailed religious things. Um, and because of that, they, they just, they hated each other. They did not like each other. There was hostility in every single moment, you would say generally, between these two groups of people. And so um, I think all these, again, like I said, all these marks um, we're going to see Jesus act counter to this culture. And so as we look in, into this, even right away, we can just see um, a, a picture of physical, emotional, and spiritual tiredness in this story, right? We see verse 6, it even says that Jesus was, was tired starting out in this, in this text. So it says, Jesus in his tiredness. Sorry, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So we see Jesus here. He's, he's journeyed from one place to another. He's right in the middle of his journey. And it's, the Bible says it was the sixth hour, which if you um, go back to Jewish culture, the sixth hour would have been about noontime. So it was like the hottest part of the day. We're in the Middle East, so it was probably really, really hot. 
He's been traveling all day. He's tired. He's probably hungry. He's probably thirsty. Um, and so we see where we enter this story is where we see Jesus sitting by the well. And so I think the, the biggest thing that we can glean from this, and this is point number one, is that Jesus showed up, right? Has anybody ever been tired in here? Yeah? Anybody tired this morning? <laughs> okay. I got to be on my toes then. I got to make sure we don't have any sleepers out here. Um, so Jesus, even in the middle of, of tiredness, the fact that he's walked this great journey, he's got all these physical needs, tiredness, thirsty, hungry, he, he has the presence of mind to show up for this interaction. And I think because of the, the route that we see him go, we can see that this is a divine appointment. God is, Jesus has set up this appointment because he knows what the outcome of this is going to bring. And you'll see that in a couple of passages here, we're, we're going to see that he breaks even a couple more Jewish cultures, Jewish customs, just to, to talk to this woman or be able to interact with this woman. And I think something we see in contrast in, in not only the church today, but just in people today, is I think we have a habit of not showing up, right? We have a, we have a habit of making excuses, flaking out, right? The... I, I know I don't know any introverts out there. I know that's like a hard one, right? It's sometimes when you when you get invited to something, it's easy to to say no, right? You you don't really want to show up because it's it's nerve wracking, it's stressful. But I think what we see is that when we show up for for things, people are able to to experience Jesus through that interaction. And so I know for for sure. Um, my family and I have had experiences where people have showed up for us, and I can't tell you the, the difference that it made in our lives. Um, a couple, couple years back, um, I was playing basketball at the YMCA, and I, I tore my Achilles. And so that's the, the tendon right in the back of your, it attaches your calf to your foot. And so if you don't know anything about it, it requires a surgery to um, repair it. And typically it's not a bad surgery. Um, but what ended up happening was we ended up having some infection happen in it. Um, I ended up having a couple multiple surgeries, a couple of uh, hospital stays. And it just became, it, it honestly became one of the most tiring parts of, of my whole life. It just it was this drawn out situation that I felt like I shouldn't be in in the first place. And it was just so taxing um, on our family. And in the midst of that, my wife was pregnant with our, with our third, Beckham. And so right as he was being born, literally three days after uh, we, we had Beckham, we found out that I was going to need this second surgery and that I was likely going to have a couple of nights stay in the hospital. And so as you can imagine, that just completely turned our world upside down for a couple of weeks because we just had this brand new baby. We're finding out that I'm going to have to take some stay in the hospital. Paige is taking care of babies on her own. Um, and it just, it was starting to add up for us. Um, and what happened was people at Refuge responded in such a powerful way for us. We had people bringing us meals. We had people um, sending us DoorDash coupons. We had us uh, people stopping us and praying with us. And the outpour of love was so impactful to us that it, I honestly believe that, that it was part of why we could get through that, that 
that terrible time in our, in our lives. And um, I just think that's something that's been so special about this place is we see people showing up for each other constantly. Um, and I, I, I know that that's because we've built that culture here in this, in this building, that you can walk through these doors knowing that somebody's going to have your back in the middle of what you're going through. And I think it, really where we come down to is we, we can't be a haven for the tired if we don't show up for people. We need to be a church that has as much action as we do words. We can't just talk about joy, right? We can't just talk about how Jesus is, is joy and love and generosity and not act those things out, right? Not, we're not just giving a, a nice gesture. We're not just saying, how, about, how is this one? We're not just saying, hey, I'll pray for you, right? What if we actually took time and we sat down and we prayed for that person in front of us, right? I can say that that has been another really big experience point for us as we walk through these, these doors. We've had people stop us in the middle of church as we're com- coming out and, and pray with us. And, and man, like just the power of that, to be able to just sit and, and know that God's in the midst of, of somebody supporting you. Um, Pastor Matt and Deb actually called me the night before my second surgery and prayed with me and and at a time where, again, our world was kind of flipped upside down. This was so impactful to us. Um, and to have, like, somebody in leadership, somebody, you know, the pastor of the church call us and want to pray with us was such an impactful thing. Um, and I think we see examples of this all over the New Testament where um, we see that this is a primary role of the church is to be there for each other, to, to show up for each other. So First uh, Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another. And build one another up just as you're doing. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Anybody catch that? People were skipping church back in biblical days too. So if you didn't make it today, you're A-OK. It's been happening for a long time. Um. But I think we can all agree that being the church requires work, right? It, it, it requires you to sometimes be inconvenienced. And I think what we see here is that Jesus wasn't inconvenienced by all of these things. Instead of seeing the inconvenience, he showed up for this woman. And why did he show up? Because he knew the impact that this was going to have on this woman. And so I, I think the other piece of it is that he knows that he carries the presence of God with him, right? He's carrying the presence of God to this woman. And we're going to see this kind of brought to light a little bit more as we move through the scripture here. But we know that we carry the presence of God with us today, right? So every time that we show up for somebody in a situation, we give a chance to, to insert God into that situation, to insert Jesus into that situation. So I, just kind of challenge you guys today. Let's continue to be that kind of church that shows up for one another because I think it's making impacts that you might not even know. Um, So let's go ahead and continue in here. We've got verse 7. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So what does this tell us about the woman? Already we know, well, obviously she's a woman, 
which was already in, back in biblical days, for Jesus to have an interaction with her, you, typically you don't see men talking to women. So that was kind of number one customary rule that Jesus broke here. Um, the second piece was that she was Samaritan. So we already know, we know Samaritans don't like Jews. Jews don't like Samaritans. And so the fact that she's a Samaritan woman and Jesus initiates this conversation is, is strange. There's something different about this, this versus the culture of the Jews at the time. Um, the other piece of this I think can, can kind of be missed here, but if you dig in a little bit further, you can see that there's something else here. Is she's drawing water in the middle of the day. Um, so, if, again, if you kind of go back to Jewish cult, customs and Jewish culture, going to draw water was a, a social event. So a lot of women would gather together and they draw water usually during the cooler parts of the day, right? Com kind of common sense. So we see this woman here drawing water alone and in the heat of the day. So it's strange. It's something, something different. And what a lot of theologians believe, the, the context behind this is that she was likely trying to avoid contact with the others in the, in the village. That she was somehow an outcast because of, um, we'll, we'll see this a little bit further in the, in the scripture, but she, she was an outcast to those people in that they, um, they kind of ostracized her. And the, I think what struck me is that she's willing to sacrifice her physical comfort, right? She's going by herself, carrying this big jar with her in the heat of the day just so that she doesn't have to interact with the community of people that she lives in. Just, just to, not, to avoid the people that you're, you would see every single day. Um, ima imagine that. Just imagine being, feeling that ostracized or that rejected that you're willing to sacrifice your physical comfort in order to to, to not experience it or to not confront it. I think something that really caught my attention as we read this is, is the contrast between how Jesus treated this woman and how the people of her village likely treated her that we see out of context. And I think, I wonder sometimes if, if as a church, big church, big corporate church, sometimes we act more like the Samaritan village than we do like Jesus. If we judge, we criticize, right? We talk behind people's backs. People come in with stuff and instead of understanding them and accepting them, loving them as they are, we, we, we have a, a tendency to, to jump on their backs. And so I, I think this is why we, we see so much church hurt today. Because people walk through the doors and they, they expect to see Jesus and instead they're met with people, flawed people who um, instead of pushing Jesus, push their own social and, and emotional comfort, right? Um, my wife and I and our family, we, we came out of a little bit of church hurt when we walked through these doors and, and if I can just, again, kind of brag on the church here, I can tell you that we, uh, this was something that was so different about here, was that when we walked in, we knew that the presence of God was in this congregation. And like Pastor Matt said, we walked in and we knew that we were welcome and we were accepted. And uh, the, the body just took us in. And, and obviously we have 
gotten plugged in at this point. We've gotten connected, and, and, and now we couldn't imagine being somewhere else. But that first initial contact point, being able to walk through these doors and just know that God was in the middle of this culture was so impactful for us to be able to become a part of this family. And I think the reality of it is that there are so many people that are exactly like this woman that we see um, in this scripture, where through maybe bad choices or just circumstances, life has just weighed them down and they're emotionally and spiritually and physically tired, right? They're desperately seeking something that's going to lighten that load for them. And they need Jesus. They need to be able to come through these doors and experience Jesus. You never know who's going to walk through the doors. So having the culture already ahead of time that you're going to show up for each other and meet people where they are is such a pivotal thing in creating an environment where people can feel safe to experience Jesus. So let's move on a little bit closer here. Um, So Jesus says, give me a, a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So again, we see Jesus ask her for a drink, breaking another culture, uh, another custom here from, from Jewish culture. He asked her for a drink, which, again, talking to her, no, no, in the Jewish culture. The fact that she's a Samaritan, if he were to actually get a drink from her jar, he's now unclean. Another no-no in the Jewish culture. But we see Jesus do it anyway. And so I think we can kind of see the woman, and she kind of gives us a little bit of a, a, a vibe of her personality as we see her interact with Jesus. She is likely feeling reduced to feeling rejected or shunned, so she... She's kind of caught off guard by the fact that Jesus is asking her about this. And she almost seems to respond with a little bit of frustration or hostility. Which again, we would see as probably a pretty typical thing between Jews and Samaritans. But she says, again, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And so we see Jesus kind of move through here. And Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, who is... And who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living living water. That's verse 10. Verse 11 said, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? So Jesus is trying to get her to understand, right, that he's the Messiah. He's the source of rest and that he's able to, to offer her just that. So Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 kind of gives us a little bit of a preface in this situation. And it says, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this woman has this burden that she's dealing with. God's trying to, Jesus is trying to, to get her to see that he can be the solution for that. He wants her to know that he's here for her, just like he's here for the Jews. He's got the same hope, the same, she has the same needs of Jesus to, to satisfy her soul as anybody else, and that he's come to meet her to do that. Now, as we think about that, married couples, have you guys ever had to have a construction, a constructive conversation while one or both of you are tired? Anybody? 
Oh, come on. I know, I know there's got to be more hands than that, right? It's really difficult. It's really difficult. When you're tired, you, you never approach things in, in the right way. And I, I think when you see the woman's response here, you can kind of catch some of that tiredness coming out. So in her weariness, in her tiredness, she's, she's used to being rejected. And she kind of comes back at Jesus with this sarcastic response almost. She says, sir, give me the water so that I will not be thirsty and I won't have to come here anymore. Oh, Jesus, you've got a well of living water. You're, you're watching me labor and you're watching me do this stuff. You've got a well of living water. Well, why don't you give me some of that so I don't have to come here anymore. So I don't have to be in loneliness. So I don't have to be tired anymore. Give me what you've got. And every time I read this passage, I think it's so relatable to how we see people interact with people today, right? When, when you're missing Jesus, you can just see that people react out of mistrust and misunderstanding. And this is why it's so important for us to be a place of refuge for those tired people. So they can come in and they can drop their stuff at the door. Like Jeff said last week, they can drop their labels. They can drop their, their tiredness. They can drop the things that are, are, are weighing them down, come through the door and experience Jesus and get rest, right? Now watch how Jesus responds here. I think this is really cool. So Jesus kind of counters here in verse 16 with something that she didn't really expect. And he kind of goes after her relationship history. Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you said is true. Savage, Jesus. Right? Like, who, so I'm not a confrontational person. So when I read this, I'm like, Jesus is going to call this out and like throw it in her face? This is crazy. Right? But what we see here, if you kind of look a little bit closer, is that he, he, doesn't, he doesn't condemn her, right? He acknowledges the position that he's, she's in. He's, he's acknowledging that he knows her sin and that he's there anyway, right? Point, point number two today is going to be Jesus met her where she was at. He's sitting here at the well in the heat of the day in his tiredness all so that he could meet this woman where she was at. Psalm 139, 7 through 8 talks about how much Jesus knows us and how much he loves us. Um, I'm going to read a little bit more than just 7 and 8, but I'll get to 7 and 8. Verse 1 says, O Lord, you've searched me and know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. Verse 4 says, even a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And then verse 7 and 8, where should I go from your spirit and where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God knows us and loves us so intimately that it doesn't matter where we go. He's, he's there, right? He's waiting for us to turn around and come back to him. And he's met us where we're at. And obviously I know um, we're not able to meet people like Jesus met this woman. We don't know people's situations. We're not able to kind of be... Uh, be able to always like speak prophetically into into people's lives, but what we can do, even even just from being able to meet somebody with kindness or generosity or or an empathetic heart, right? I think God moves in these moments, and it shows people that we're safe place for them, 
that refuge is a safe place to come in and experience God in a different way. And I think this is something, another thing that my family's always really loved about this church, why it's so special, is that we see that modeled here. And I, I think we see God moving in that constantly. We're seeing new people come through and new lives changed. And it's because we've created this culture that allows people to feel safe interacting with Jesus. So verse 19, so Jesus just calls her out on this. And, and her response is, you must be a prophet. So she, she, so she gets to this point, and she, she's like, okay, well, I'm, I'll acknowledge that you happen to know that thing, but Jesus, I don't really want to talk about that. It's a little bit too personal for me. She puts up a wall, right? She tries to, instead of getting into the deep stuff that Jesus is trying to connect with her on, she's getting ready to debate with Jesus again religiously. And one of the things that they would debate on the most was, the place of worship between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans. So the, the Samaritans believed that you could only worship on Mount Gerizim, and Jews believed you could only worship in the temple. So they had this issue of place of worship, and the reason why it was such an issue is because the Samaritans weren't allowed in the temple. So they had to find their own place to worship God. So think about the, the beauty of this moment where we see Jesus... In the middle of this conversation, these two people are, these two people groups, the Jews and Samaritans, are arguing about the fact that just where you're going to worship. And in the middle of that, we see Jesus, the Son of God, the embodiment, God in the flesh, standing right in front of this woman, meeting her exactly where she is. How cool is that imagery? He meets us right where we're at. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming that neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when a true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So Jesus expands on the fact that he's coming to break these constructs, and that true worshipers are going to be able to worship God right where they're at. He's trying to get her to understand um, that these constructs are not going to matter anymore. And so verse 25, he says, says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming and he who is the Christ. So when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So he, he, he eventually just tells her, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that can bring you rest. I'm the one that can solve the issues that you're dealing with. And she finally gets it, right? The Messiah is standing right in front of her, arms open wide. And instead of rejection and judgment and barriers like she's seen before, he's, he's, he's there for her with loving arms. And it completely changes the, the trajectory for this woman's life. And that's going to get us to point three in worship team. You can come up. It's all about an encounter with Jesus. Something that we kind of glossed over in verse 8, and I think is kind of interesting here, um, is that it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Verse 8 says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. I think it's notable that the disciples are gone for this interaction. This is a personal 
one-on-one relationship with Jesus that she gets to experience. I think we get tempted sometimes, my hand raised included, to, to try to help people on our own, right? Solve people's problems with our own wisdom or our own understanding or our own merit. We try to give advice. We try to teach lessons, right? And at the heart of it, that's not what people need. People need Jesus. I wonder how this story might have been different if the disciples would have been around for the whole interaction. All right, maybe we'd have seen some judgment or some criticism, or maybe some disciples would have just tried to dismiss the woman altogether. I think it's important to understand this morning that we can't change people's hearts. We can't many times change anybody's situation, right? We can't change their circumstances. Our wisdom goes only so far. Sometimes we can even get in the way trying to push those things on our own. But it's an encounter with Jesus that changes people. And what we do, we just want to do what Jesus asks us to do and allow people to experience him to change hearts. Our biggest goal here at church should be to create an environment that drives people to encounter Jesus. And out of this encounter with Jesus, we see that this woman gets restored hope and she gets restored joy. And watch what she does in verse 28. The NIV version says, Then leaving her jar, the woman went back into the town. The hope she received in Jesus caused her to release this burden and leave the the symbolic thing, the representation of her tiredness, the thing that was weighing her down, the thing that reminded her every single day that she was an outcast and that she wasn't accepted and that Jesus wasn't there for her. That reminder, she drops at the well and then watch this. It says in, in... so she, she, she dropped her, her jar and she ran back to the very village that rejected her in order to share her testimony. And because of that encounter with Jesus, verse 39 says, many Samaritans believed. The only way we can be a haven for the tired or refuge for the broken is if we consistently guide people to encounter Jesus. And when we're able to be a place that helps people encounter Jesus, I believe that many lives are changed. Church, we have to push Jesus in every area of our lives. If we're tired, Jesus is the answer. If you're hurting, Jesus is the answer. If you're lonely, Jesus is the answer. And that's why refuge can be a safe place for people who are tired. Because as a church... That's been our goal, to push Jesus into the forefront of everything that we do. So this morning, if we want to be a church that is a haven for the tired, we need to show up for each other. We need to show up internally. We need to show up externally. Lives are hard. It's not always comfortable. It's not always convenient. But I think God can use that. God uses those moments of us showing up for each other. Second thing is that we need to meet people where they're at. Meeting someone where they're at means that they can leave their past, they can leave their labels, like Jeff said, leave them at the door and safely experience Jesus in this building. And three is we need to get Jesus in the forefront of every situation that we can. This is able to turn around any situation in our lives in the blink of an eye. 
And in this example, we essentially see this woman go from tired and hurting and, and weary, rejected, and it turns her into an evangelist. And we see an entire community of Samaritans converted because of this interaction. So this morning, um, if you're tired, if you're feeling tired this morning, and not just physically tired, but emotionally tired, spiritually tired, if, if you're dealing with something, just know that God's meeting you here in this moment. And like Pastor said, worship, being able to worship and be in the experience that the presence of God is what can give you rest. So as we close, let's just, every eye closed, every head bowed. If this morning you're, you'd say, Mason, I'm tired, I'm weary, and I, I, I don't have Jesus in my life to, to take that from me. I'm desperately seeking something that's going to lift that. Can you just raise your hand this morning? Thank you. Thank you. You can put those hands down. If, if, if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you. We're going to have people coming up front. Come up and receive prayer. Allow somebody in this building to show up for you and to meet you where you're at. If this morning, maybe, maybe you're a believer, you, you, you have Jesus, but you just, you're dealing with some stuff and you're weary and you need a refreshment. You need somebody to show up for you. You need somebody to meet you where you're at. Could you just raise your hand? Thank you, thank you. I'm gonna pray for us. Jesus, I just pray that this morning, God, thank you for being, again, God, a, a God of divine appointments, God, that people are not here for an accident this morning, God, that as they experience you this morning, God, as they come in with stuff, God, that you would give them rest. God, help us to be a church that allows people to come in these doors and be able to experience you in a way that feels safe to them, God. Help us to be a haven for the tired, God. A haven for the tired. Thank you for the culture of this church, God. Thank you for... Um, just meeting us where we're at and being here in this moment right now, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if, if you prayed a prayer this morning again for the first time, you accepted Jesus, I just encourage you, come down front, receive prayer, tell somebody about it. And if you came in with something and you said, hey, I need, I need Jesus to be able to help me leave that jar at the well. If that's you this morning, come down front. We've got people that are wanting to show up for you. They're wanting to meet you where you're at. And Jesus loves you this morning. He wants to encounter you. So as we worship, let's just keep that in mind that as we enter into a time of worship, as we enter into God's presence, that's where we're going to find rest. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.